I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. Today I have my good friend Pat Shelberg on as I talk to him about his running career um, and all of his accomplishments that he achieved in high school and in college. I talked to him about his some of his more noteworthy accomplishments like winning the boys high school mile run in the Penn Relays, uh, which is an international track event that is pretty well known um, to all track and field athletes. So I talked to him about that and all of his accomplishments. I also talked to him about his running career at UNC and what it was like to get recruited to go there and then I also ask him about some running tips for myself as I'm thinking about running a half marathon. So give this podcast a listen and thanks for listening like always. And if you guys haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. And uh, let's give Pat a call. Hey, Pat. So thanks for coming on to the podcast this week. I'm really excited to have you on um, as we talk about your whole athletic career, but most specifically about your running career. Obviously, you found your stride. You see what I did there? Found your stride (laughs) in high school um, and had a lot of these elite accomplishments as a runner and then ended up finding your way on the UNC track team. Um, down in North Carolina, so you were able to get recruited to, play, to to run there. And then I just also wanted to talk about all the things that you've learned from running and things like that. So I'm really glad to have you on, Pat. Um, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, Kevin, thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, I listened to Danny and Louie's podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm just hoping to uh, follow in their footsteps. So it'll be fun. fun yeah, and I'm really excited to have you on because you provide this different perspective that I haven't had with my previous guests because I interviewed Danny, I interviewed Dewey, and they, they talked about their soccer careers. And that's a little bit more mainstream and mm-hmm. a little bit more easily for people to grasp because of the people that we know in our community, being familiar with the soccer system, being familiar with the youth soccer system. But I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of, a lot of people are as familiar with running and the the trials and tribulations of what elite running brings and it's more of a niche sport so i think you provide a really interesting and unique perspective that i'm really excited to hear about over this next hour or so all right awesome yeah so pat the first question that i really wanted to start with was how did you Growing up, what sports were you interested in or what sports did you end up partaking in? Did you end up focusing solely on running from an early age or were there other sports that you ended up playing? Yeah, so I guess growing up, I have a twin brother, which some of the listeners I'm sure know, um, and we played pretty much. Shout out to Matt. (laughs) Shout out to Matt Matt Schoberg. We played a lot of soccer growing up. I think that's something we both started playing probably around 
four years old. Um, she played I don't know, rec soccer, club soccer, like a lot of the conversations have been going. Um, and then travel soccer. So we played uh, for a club, uh, New Jersey Rangers, which not as elite as the Red Bull system, but um, still tra- traveling every every weekend to various competitions around the tri-state area. Um, so I played that until, I guess, freshman year of high school. I also played basketball up until eighth grade, I believe. Um, and that was competitive, but not as, it was more like competing within like the North Jersey area versus soccer where we traveled all around the tri-state. And then I also played baseball growing up, um, just through little league. I ended it after that. Um, I guess in terms of, I guess in terms of running, I, growing up, um, one of my mom's, uh, colleagues, she had a son or he had a son that ran for Pope John up in Sparta mm-hmm. and he actually was like super, super good. Um, ended up running sub nine for two miles, which as a high school athlete back in the, um, early two thousands is, is nothing to sniff out at all. Um, so he was a really good high school runner. I ended up running at Georgetown. Um, and I believe probably in fifth or sixth grade, I talked with um, my mom's colleague a little bit about running and trying to get into running. And he kind of took me under his wing, uh, going a couple runs together. Um, I guess through that, I was, I knew I had a decent engine in terms of um, being one of the faster players um, on my soccer team in terms of just being able to run for a long period of time. Um, so during middle school, I ran on the cross country team for my Catholic school and, um, saw, saw pretty immediate success, but, um, definitely did not put any eggs into that basket at all. I pretty much did the bare minimum, um, for that middle school cross country. Um, I would just show up to the meets and, uh, run pretty well, but it was solely based off of, uh, soccer fitness. That's a little, little background on my, um, sports experience before high school. Yeah, and I find that really interesting because I think especially nowadays with all these elite athletes trying to get to the top of their sport, if you look at other sports like football, like baseball, Mm -hmm. like basketball, like soccer, a lot of kids nowadays specialize early in the sport that they deem themselves to be really, really good at. And I think a lot of times people end up getting burned out or a lot of the kids feel a lot of pressure from focusing on one sport or honing in on one sport. Whereas when you're look, when I look at your experience, you really devoted your time to a, a lot of different other, a lot of different sports and running almost was something that you did as a cherry on top or on the side um, to other sports like soccer and basketball. Yeah, um, and I think the one thing that is different between uh, track and field or cross country versus a lot of the sports like soccer, um, you can't really, from my experience with numerous friends that were on my teams and whatnot, a lot of the people that started running at a very early age um, come high school, um, they weren't as good. And they were usually pretty burned out. Um, I guess running is a pretty stressful sport on your joints and whatnot. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the people at Del Barton that um, started running 
before middle school or at middle school at a pretty high level. Um, they just didn't see the gains that um, someone like myself that didn't focus on it specifically saw. Um, and I think there's a lot, a lot more pressure um, that those that those kids were feeling versus myself. Um, coming from a background where I did a lot of different sports and um, my parents were obviously pretty uh, enthusiastic um, towards that upbringing as well. Yeah. And did you feel like from your, and you talked about some of the early success that you did end up having at those early meets that you had during your middle school um, time. Did you feel or know immediately, okay, this is something that, I'm good at and that I would continue on um, into high school? Yes and no. Um, I think there's a part of me, especially during eighth grade, where I won every single cross-country race that I ran that season, but I didn't train for it. I think there's a part of me that wanted to see, um, wanted to run at least track in, in high school and just see what kind of ability I really had when I put some more um, eggs into that basket. But during that time, soccer was my main sport. And that was the, that was the one sport that I probably saw myself succeeding in the most, um, not only in high school, but um, I guess I had aspirations during middle school to um, take soccer to college and beyond. So, Yeah. And I think, it, I think it's really fascinating. I mean, this brings up a bunch of different ways that we can go. The first thing I did want to comment on was I remember in middle school when I went to a public middle school and we were mm-hmm. required to run a one mile run, times run and see how <laughs> yeah. fast we were able to run it. And I just remember dying after like after my mile and just being extremely tired. <laughs> I think I think the fastest I ran it was like in 630. Do you remember any did you ever time like your mile time in middle school? Yeah, well, I thought dude, six thirty is pretty good for sure. Um, yeah, I remember we used to do uh, our mile on around the gym, the, the basketball court of the gym. So it was like twenty two laps or something. Just oh man, completely asinine. And I think eighth grade, eighth grade, I eighth grade, I, I guess when I ran track, I ran five twenty three. Um, Dang. Okay, that would have been so like probably something around there. I'm yeah. Assuming. Yeah. That's crazy because, like, I remember, like, there was there was certain kids in our in our group uh, or in our grade during middle school that would run in the five, like, run five forty five, five fifty, and we just our minds would explode because <laughs> of how, just being able to see them run around like that. So it's I think it's good to kind of give the listeners a con- some context as to how fast you were at a pretty relatively early age, early on in your running career. And then transitioning into high school, that's how me and you ended up meeting on the freshman soccer team, playing for Mr. Thompson on that freshman soccer team. I remember during all of our runs, all of our timed runs, I mean, I think we had a two-mile timed run that we had to run. You would always be at the head of the pack with, uh, what's his name, Ethan Varel. Yeah. Yeah, you guys would just, crush everyone in terms of being able to run past different people and um, Uh would really be at the at the front of the pack but even early on during that freshman year because 
soccer is a fall sport in New Jersey. Did you, did you have any aspirations or thoughts about trying out for the winter track team or even running cross country in that fall or running in spring track? Yeah, um, definitely not cross country. Um, freshman year, I came into school like Danny um, and you and my brother um, all in on soccer. Del Barton's as has been spoken on this podcast a lot, is a very um, great soccer school. And I remember just going to games when I was in middle school. So I lived right down the road. I only lived five minutes from Del Barton. So I used to go to the homecoming and watch Del Barton play St. Benedict's or other various um private powerhouses within New Jersey and just watching those games I definitely wanted to be on that field um as a as a sophomore or junior in high school um so I definitely had no aspirations on running cross country um as a freshman in high school um and also in terms I guess in terms of winter track I think I I I guess going into high school I was kind of reluctant to run track in winter I wanted to play basketball but um, I think as the fall progressed, um, I just learned how competitive the basketball team would be, um, either either by actual athletic comp- actual athletic accomplishments or just people talking. It was kind of mm-hmm. hard to to weigh myself, but I felt I felt like based on the talk that um, a lot of the kids in our school um, had. I thought that winter track might be in my best interest in terms of not only being able to, I guess, compete, but also it helped me um, in soccer as I was playing club soccer during that time. So I thought it'd be a pretty good um, fitness avenue outside of just running on the field. So, Right. And I think it's, you bring up an interesting point and it was kind of like that culture at Del Barton where, um, I think a lot of people did winter track to keep in shape for their spring sport. So they would mm-hmm. transition either from like football into lacrosse in the spring and then do winter track in the big, in the middle to keep in shape or keep in relative good shape. Same with like soccer transitioning into, into lacrosse or whatever there's the person's spring sport was. Yeah. It seemed like, running on the track team was almost a I don't want to demean it or anything like that no you're good right it was used as a sport to keep people in shape for their spring sport or their main sport and I'm doing the air quotations I know you can't (laughs) see me but but doing their main sport and keeping them in shape for that so I think even even it from the response that I hear you saying and you talking about, it seemed like you had that similar mind frame and idea, keeping yourself in shape for club soccer coming up in the spring. Yeah, that's, that's true for sure. Um, I think that's winter track, especially for um, a freshman in high school, that was definitely a sport that most people would do just to try something out or just, stay in shape for whatever their main sport was. So I, I said it's very accurate. Um, but I also think as, I guess maybe as like a junior or senior, it probably was less so the case because um, a lot of the people that ran winter track ended up liking liking the sport or the camaraderie or the culture and they would run spring track or they would run cross country. So um, 
I think that mindset was something that maybe existed for a ninth grader, but over time, um, the uh, students that would stay within track, they were doing it as their main sport. Right. So take me through, Pat, because I know after freshman year, we had a really good soccer season. Um, we, We ended up becoming undefeated in that freshman soccer season. And then I know you transitioned over to track, and you didn't end up playing um, soccer your sophomore year at Del Barton, if if I remember correctly, and decided to solely focus on your running career. So can you talk about some a little bit about that transition of thought and why you decided to uh, do that? Yeah, for sure. So as I was running indoor track freshman year, I had a lot of very immediate success, um, to be frank. Um, I got fifth in the county mile after running for like two months. Um, and I was running with all juniors and seniors in high school. So I think right then, every every race I ran during that season, I kept beating my best time by five or so seconds um, each race. Um, so I think just like the immediate success that I had um, in that indoor track season that carried on through outdoor, um, it was just, I was just pretty much hooked. Um, cause I saw, I saw running as a sport that, yeah, it's more individualized. Um, I mean, there still is a team component to it, but at the same time, um, you get in what you put, you, you, you get what you put, put into the sport. Um, and that might not be the same in a lot of team sports, um, such as soccer, football, where there's a lot of politics that um, play a part into who's going to play or who's going to make the team or whatnot. Um, so that was something that Coach Barnacle definitely stressed, um, that the, the stopwatches is, is the sole determinant between who who's going to run in the meet or who's going to not run in the meet. Um, and I thought that was just something that, I mean, it helped that I was having a lot of success, but I think that black or white um, viewpoint into who's going to compete on any given day was something that I enjoyed a lot. Um, And I guess following outdoor track, um, I'd say during that whole season, I was was still playing club soccer, um, would still play a couple times, go to practice a couple times a a week. Play play games every every weekend or so. Travel all the time. I was playing in that summer, but I think during the same time, I realized probably in June of um, after my freshman year that I wanted to. Um, I thought I would have a lot more success um, being a runner versus a soccer player, um, just from the success I was having. And I remember um, telling my parents and. Obviously, they were super supportive, but my dad was, I think, a little disappointed just because he was the soccer coach and um, he would drive us all to practices. So I think that was a a time where um, he realized that some of that bonding that we had driving the practices or tournaments probably was going to go away. Um, but besides that, um, I thought it was, a, it was a transition that I had to make if I wanted to being the upper echelon of my of my sport yeah and I mean can you talk a little bit about that because I I mean I think in high school 
um, I, I hung out with Matt a lot because he was on the soccer team and we ended up playing. Talk about that relationship that you had with Matt and what type of support that maybe you were able to give each other, maybe some friendly competition, all that type of stuff. Yeah, so my brother was definitely the most supportive uh, brother I probably could have asked for at that time. Um, I think when I quit soccer to run cross country, there's definitely some hard feelings um, from a couple people on the team just because we had such a tight bond um, as a class in our freshman soccer team, whereas you said we went undefeated and whatnot. Um, but I think, I think through the success that I had in track as a freshman, he, my brother understood that I was at a lot, a lot higher of a level in running than I was in soccer. So it was the only decision that um, made sense at the time. So I think he, he definitely helped me alleviate some concerns that I felt maybe um, sabotaging you guys by quitting soccer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, and, and at the same time, um, I felt pretty. There's times where I felt pretty bad for him too because um, friends in middle school or just acquaintances would see the the success that I had as a runner, and they would automatically assume that my brother was just as good at me at running or or was wondering why he wasn't running um, cross country or distance. Um, But he always took it in stride and um, I don't believe that ever affected him. So um, I think just that support system that I had from him made it all worthwhile, man. Yeah. And I, I was about to joke around with you and say, Oh man, when Pat didn't come back sophomore year to play soccer, we're a little hurt. But obviously, <laughs> once once we were able to see the amount of work that you put in and the success that you ended up having um, later, even super early on in your running career, but then um, to the heights that you reach your senior year, junior senior year of track and running, yeah. it it kind of made a ton of sense as to why you ended up going to pursue that route. What I did want to get into now and kind of talk about throughout this high school time period is like some of some of the maybe more gritty detailed stuff that some people might not find as interesting, but I find <laughs> incredibly interesting in terms of what your training regimen was like and how many miles you ended up running, um, how you were able to balance between um, staying fresh for your races and also yeah. being able to build up the engine that you talk about when running. Yeah, um, I definitely would like to add, um, I guess, later on in the podcast for college when I talk about my training there because it was a whole uh, and, and, and probably another five levels more crazy than what I did in high school. Um, but in terms of high school, we'd, I mean, it wasn't like soccer where I guess it's only like the one season you're competing for the high school from September to to November. Um, for runners, we have, we're in competition from I think in high school, middle of September all the way until like middle of June. If you're running the, the state meets and the national meets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a grind and, We'd only take a week off in between each season. Excuse me. Um, but in terms of like a day-to-day or season-to-season type stuff, um, I'd say in high school I averaged 
probably around 40 miles a week, which mm-hmm. might seem a lot to the average person, but um, really was the bare minimum in terms of r- running miles um, for a person that had pretty high aspirations as a runner. Um, our coach, Mr. Barnacle, was some. He was a he was a good coach. Um, did not come from a running background. Actually, was a football coach. Uh, I mean, he's a six foot five guy, size fourteen shoes. Looks like the the opposite of a of a cross country distance runner by any means. Um, mm-hmm. But he was a great coach in terms of um, not not putting too much pressure on his athletes. Um, he was someone that. Um, would get a lot out of you, but would do it in a way where you knew that your best stuff was going to come as you moved up through high school or college or beyond. Um, so he was someone that was definitely a lot more cautious in terms of not having us run 100 miles a week or just doing stuff that um, a growing high school boy uh, or girl could could not handle. Um, so he was definitely a coach that you you kind of knew if you were having a lot of success under him um, that within college, which obviously that's the, the goal um, was to run in college that you'd see a lot more success um, in the college ranks. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like that, the, that 40 mile, I guess mm-hmm. 40 miles a week, how would that, and how would you end up splitting that up? Would you, kind of yeah. go on a long run on one day, take a break one the the next day, do another long run or yeah. would it be and then like would you kind of do a constant pace throughout that run or would it be some somewhat varied throughout um those training runs? Yeah, so I guess in a given week um for like 40 miles a week, we would have a long run of probably 8 miles, 8 or 9 miles in high school and uh, I should eight, eight to nine all the way up to 12. I think in high school, my longest run was like 12 miles. Um, I ran that every, once a week and it was at a decent pace, but I mean, at, it, was, it was like a distance aerobic type effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so on top of, I guess the long run and then we have a couple like distance runs. So those are a little less miles than a, than a long run, but, the same kind of aerobic effort slash like recovery. Um, so those weren't meant to be taxing by any means, but almost, almost meant to like get the volume in, but not tax your body too much. And then the other days, and these were like the, the quality days we would have like track workouts or, um, tempo runs or just, just running workouts where we would run at, um, race pace for the, I guess for cross country would be five k race pace repeats. It'd be like three by a mile at your five k race pace with three or four minutes rest, something like that. Um, so we would have workouts like that in high school, probably twice a week. Um, and th- those were those were the workouts where you kind of knew where you stood. Um, Mm-hmm. And then I guess besides workouts, obviously in high school, you, we, we used to, we would race a ton. So um, we'd have a race every, m- most likely every week, which um, is, is a lot for sure. Um, so it right. doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it at the time, but um, as you grow through the sport, you realize that racing 
multiple times a week is not the um, the, the most beneficial for sure for long-term gains. Right. And I think it's important to kind of give our listeners some context as to what races you did run and which ones you specialized in, because there are a wide variety of races um, for runners. So, I mean, there's obviously like the sprint races where you're talking a hundred meter, 200 meters, Mm -hmm. even, I guess, is, I mean, is 400 meters kind of middle distance or sprinting still, I would say. sprinting. Yeah. More, more towards sprinting. Um, Right. So, and then, and then there's probably the 800 and then the mile or 1600 meters and then 32, 3,200. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, and then that's, I would say considered probably middle distance or so. So what types of, what types of distances did you focus on or were you the best at um, in high school slash college? Yeah. So, um, and I'll, I'll, I guess we can jump to college later, but in high school, I mostly ran the 1600 of a mile. That was like my bread and butter. Um, that was the race where I think I saw a lot of my immediate success. And um, in terms of running a mile, is kind of like one of the glory, the glory events. It's kind of like if you're, if you're at, at work or something and someone finds out you run, they usually ask what's your 5k PR or what's your mile PR? Those are like the two questions that really come up usually. Mm-hmm. So um, in high school, I'd mainly, I'd pretty much solely focused on the mile. Um, I'd run a couple two miles um, a couple times a year in there too. Um, and then 800s as well, just for, so the 800s would be like for speed and then the two miles for endurance. But um, the mile was my, definitely my main event. And um, the event where I saw most of my success in high school for sure. Yeah, and then why don't we transition to some of that success and kind of list some of the career accomplishments that you ended up having in high school. I mean, because I attended one of, I I would say, one of the most exciting races um, that you were able to run at MSG, which was extremely cool, a cool experience to see my friend and witness that end up happening and you were able to win that race. Um, And that was really exciting to witness, watch you, you know, have the Del Barton flag fly that and really represent our school in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe that was the Melrose games, correct? That's correct. That's correct. Nice memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it was a huge race in MSG in such a historic arena where the Knicks play um, all that type of stuff, all the history that's within that building and being able to watch that happen was just really exciting to see. Yeah, yeah. So I think within high school, um, I guess once I started solely focusing on running, I saw a lot of pretty immediate gains um, in terms of my uh, speed and endurance and whatnot. Um, I think that sophomore year, I ended up running uh, around 417 for the mile, which um, that was, I mean, the top underclassman in the state. Um, I think it was like seventh at the state meet, which I didn't really have those aspirations going into there. Um, and then junior year was kind of um, when I saw even more improvement because a lot of time, a lot of times within your, your sport, uh, especially running, you, um, you, you tend to plateau after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's, there's only so much talent or um, drive that you can get out of just by running. 
Um, but I was fortunate enough as a junior to run 410 in the mile, and that was um, that was a breakout race for me for sure. Um, it was the at the state meet of champions, which is everyone, all all groups, all non-public, public, all all come um, in this one race, and I was able to get third at that race, and um, that was that was the run that once I finished that, I knew I was I was set for college for the most part. Um, I just mm-hmm. need to have I need I need to have that time on my resume um, in order to get recruited to some pretty good schools. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good um, turning point to the Noros games where um, I hadn't really won any big races within New Jersey and that whole summer, but before senior year, every run I just I was dreaming about winning on Madison Square Garden. I wanted to be the the heavy hitter. I wanted to be that guy that finally won that big race um, and be the guy that people were scared to compete against. Um, And I was fortunate enough during cross country that year and indoor track up until that race that um, I was was having a lot of success and um, I was able to run well in a lot of different um, events and whatnot. So, once I stepped on the line at that race where I was already the um, U.S. number one in the country um, before that race, I had a lot of confidence, and I just wanted to um, run up to my potential for uh, all my friends like yourself that um, took the train from Morristown to New York. So that was a that was a super special moment for me um, in high school. Yeah, and it was really just cool to witness and see. And, I mean, there I think even watching, like, the – that race there I could see that there was a lot of race strategy that was involved um even within that specific race I could I I couldn't remember it actually pretty clearly because it was like wow my friend is running in um Madison Square Garden but this idea of when to I think runners describe it as get into their kick or kind of develop or kind of go for it in, in yeah. terms of going into their top gear um uh, especially for their middle distance how did you determine that was that like all situation specific or was it something where you have a game plan going in like when i have two laps left uh two laps left for example that's when i'm gonna really get get into it yeah so no that's, that's a great question um I'd say there's it's you go into a race with a couple of game plans in your in your mind, like a plan A, plan B, plan C. Um, but obviously there's you're not racing against just yourself. So there's always um some some I don't know. You can be in a race that you expect to go at us at a certain pace and it it's a sit and kick, so it goes out really slow and everyone's together, or it can be a race where um people just start destroying from, from the get go and you're just hanging on. So, um, I think it, it was always important in high school. I always had like a couple, a couple plans in my mind that, um, I would talk to my coach about. Um, but I guess that specific day, um, the guy that got second actually was a 148, 800 meter runner, which is like absolutely ridiculous in high school. Um, and I knew if I was, with him with 400 to go, I'd probably lose. Um, mm-hmm. So I, so, and that, and the race was, it went out pretty slow um, for, for us at least. 
And once I saw the halfway split, I knew that if I wanted to win, I had to pretty much go all out from there um, and and surprise the field. So that's kind of what I what I did. And um, I wouldn't say that was my plan going into it, but it was a plan that I definitely prepared for um, and, and, and was prepared to do it if, if need be. So, Right. And even just taking that race as an example and then kind of taking a – a macro view of running at an elite level, I think it it points to really interesting things in terms of what you mentioned there and what you pointed out was that you thought about all the other people's times and what their strengths and capabilities are and being able to take into take those into account so that that you can kind of develop a race strategy around that and be able to Put your put you in the best position position to succeed, which is mm-hmm. what I would say a really great tactician does in any sport, whether it be football, whether it be soccer, uh, whether it be basketball. They take in take into account all these variables and these factors that you really need to take into account so that you put yourself in the best position to succeed. Um, and I find that an extremely interesting part of elite running when you watch uh, some of these elite runners when there's marathon runners or even talking about, um, you know, seeing running in the Olympics and that type of race strategy that goes into, into play because most of these elite runners are relatively on the same level, you would say, but they're, I think the race strategy determined, determined on a specific day can really provide the difference in outcome. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, definitely at the Olympic level, um, there might, there might be like one absolute phenom. Um, but for the most part, everyone that's at, at that upper echelon, as you said, um, has pretty similar abilities that one might be quicker than the other one might have more endurance than the other, but at the end of the day, um, there's definitely opportunities that one or the other would beat each other five out of five or five out of 10 times, vice versa kind of thing. So, Right. And I mean, you also had incredible success at the Penn relays. You were able to win that race, I believe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're able to accomplish a ton of different things um, through high school, throughout your high school running career. If you could point to like one accomplishment or one thing, what was the most what was the thing that you were most proud of? Probably winning Milrose and Penn Relays. Um those are two of the biggest um high school slash scholastic mile runs in the country. Um and to win both of those pretty decisively. Um that's something I, I I I literally couldn't even have dreamt of at that time. Um, I mean, I, I might have visual tried to visualize it, but I never thought that that kind of success um, would happen. Um, so I think just being able to um, focus on a task that for so long, I mean, I I thought about as I said, I thought about winning the Melrose Games for over a year. Like that was my goal. That was like my main goal um, for that season. Um, I think just being able to 
um, see that if I put my mind to something and um, almost stubbornly put my mind to something that uh, I can make it happen. So I think just yeah. being able to do that was probably the biggest achievement. Yeah. And I, I mean, they, those two achievements for the listeners that don't really maybe have an understanding or context as to how important those races are. Those are races that the top high school runners in the country attend, um, especially the Penn Relays. That's like the outdoor, um, outdoor race in at I think in University, Philly. Yeah, yeah, in Philly, Penn. Penn. That is a very historic race that draws a bunch of different runners from all over, um, all over the, the world, country, yeah. all over the world. Yeah. So to be able to be the top high school runner. Uh, mile runner in that race and to win that race is an incredible accomplishment in it in itself so pat when kind of looking back at your high school career and looking back at it um what was like the team aspect of that like and having teammates because you did outline how running was a very I would say solo or individual sport that's all on you. Um, and you outlined that pretty well earlier on in the podcast, but what was the type of support and uh, support that you received from your teammates? Because there were other talented runners at Del Barton when you were there. I mean, from off the top of my head, I think there was one guy a couple of years older than us, yeah, that Tom went Poland. to yeah. Tom Poland. Yeah, that yeah. went to Columbia. That was extremely good. And then there was a guy younger than us by a year, Morgan yeah, more, Pearson, that um, yeah, yeah, that was extremely talented as well. And I remember just kind of seeing their names like in their in the school newspaper or on NJ.com, being able to see all that. So what was that camaraderie like? Um, being able to uh, have a team like that and have teammates around you that were able to push you. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I, I, I know I said running's a pretty individual sport, but the team, the team aspect is what gets a lot of people into the sport. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of psychotic to run 50 miles a week or whatnot. Um, but yeah, because I know I couldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, right. so it's kind of like a, a a freaking blending of misfits, um, and just the respect that all of us had for one another, um, in terms of pretty much just putting the, all their effort into doing one task, no no matter what their ability level was. That was something that was a bond. Um, that we all formed um, a lot of the people on my high school team. I, I still talk to a lot. Um, they're some of my best friends. Um, and yeah, I think during high school, um, we, we had a pretty good team in terms of um, support from all different areas of the track team, like the sprinters and the distance runners and the throwers. Um, and at the same time, our, our cross country team was super tight knit and we'd hang out all the time outside. I mean, Basically, all the all the practices were basically just us chatting and talking and joking um, during our runs. So that's the that's the thing that makes um, running 40 miles a week pretty bearable, I guess. Um, just having fun. It's it was almost like hanging out with your friends for 
a couple hours after school um, while, while getting fit. So, Right. So before we transition on and kind of talk about that college process and the college recruiting process that got you to UNC, what just list your person do you remember any of your personal best or personal rec prs um from high school in maybe the mile and then anything else that you can remember from that in terms of times yeah um so in the mile i ran uh 408 that's what i ran at the pen relays um i think i also ran like 915 in the two mile so those were like my two um there are two races I ran the mess in high school. Those are my PRs. Yeah, my mind's about to explode <laughs> that I could ever run that quickly. Um, I'd be lucky to run one mile in about nine minutes right now with the physical shape that I'm in. So um, transitioning over to that recruiting process and what that was like, is it tip, is it similar to some of the other big sports like football and and basketball where coaches start reaching out to you at during junior year and being able to gauge a level of interest yeah. uh, from them and kind of walk us through that process and what that was like for you personally. Yeah, so the recruiting process for cross-country and track was actually pretty similar to football um, and basketball. Just maybe maybe some of the timelines were a little different. Because um, I know, I mean, we we see basketball players committing to schools in eighth grade. That's not the case in in right, sophomore right. year track. Yeah. Um, but I, from what I remember, sophomore and junior year, or mostly mostly junior year, um, my parents and I, we and my brother, we would go to various schools that um, either of us were interested in. And um, while going to those schools, I would email the coach or try to get in touch with someone that's on the team that I knew. Um, and just tell them I was in town and um, interested in. Um, I usually met with some of the coaches there. So that was junior year. And then once uh, July 1st hit, that was – I, I guess also before before the coaches can call you on July 1st, um, coaches would email – were allowed to email you and um, slide into your Facebook DMs, which is kind of weird, but I had a lot <laughs> of direct messages from coaches um, on Facebook in uh, my junior year of high school. Um, just, just gauging, I guess my interest is, it was like a mutual thing. Like uh, the coach wanted to see how I, how I was interested in the school and vice versa. Um, so there are a lot of those preliminary talks going on, um, during the spring of my junior year. And then once July 1st hit, that was when coaches could start calling, um, athletes for, for cross country and track. Um, so I remember that day I got, I got around 10 calls from 10 different schools. Um, so that was a super exciting day for me. Um, and I guess during during those calls, I um, started to select um, a few schools that I would be interested in visit, doing an official visit. So much like, um, like a football or a basketball um, Schools would fly you out, or um, you take the. They, they would they pay for your transportation basically to get to the school um, for I think 48 hours. So you would um, room with a, a person on the team. Um, you'd go to practice. You would um, check out the campus and the and the city, and just do just do fun stuff like that. It's they kind of treat you as a member of the team. 
Um, and it was kind of like a trial where the coach would see if they liked me as an individual as well as I would gauge how I felt about different schools. Um, so I tried to I tried to make that process as quick as possible. So I um, I remember September October timeframe was my senior year. I visited all five schools in six weeks. Um, so that was a super stressful process, just traveling every week um, around the country, just to various schools. Um, but at the end of the day, I chose UNC because I thought it was the best fit between athletics and academics um, of the schools that I um, considered. Right. And what were, like, were, so did you feel like there's any one factor that was kind of differentiating that UNC differentiated themselves over other schools that showed interest in you? Yeah. Um, so I think before before the recruiting process um, started, I was actually super close to picking Columbia um, just through my my teammate at the time, Tom Pollen, and actually dated a girl that was on the team at the time there too. Um, and they were drama. In pro- yeah, drama. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that, they were a super up and coming program. Um, had a lot of uh, reputation in within the mile, which was my uh, specialty in high school. Um, but when I visited UNC, that was the first school I visited, and I just remember meshing really well with the kids on the team. Um, and the coach was a young dude that um, was his first year at the school. I remember he actually um, emailed me when he was um, the Auburn coach and I was like I'm not going to Alabama like I don't even know where that is on the map um, but um, shortly after he he um, took the UNC job and I was like I really like this guy but um, I wouldn't go to Auburn but if he was at a new school like UNC which is um, a lot more bearable of um, of a state for my parents to send me um, versus Alabama um, no respect to anyone that's from Alabama here but um I think just during that visit, I just saw how fiery this guy was and um, how enthusiastic he was and just the vision that he had. Um, that sold me for sure, um, as we had the, the top recruiting class in the country um, for cross-country and distance running. Um, so I just saw his vision, and I wanted to be a part of, I wanted to be a part of something new and um, try to develop something um, great. Yeah, and I think that kind of shows some really interesting – things because there are a lot of similarities to the recruiting processes of basketball and football that so many people are really familiar with but mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting to get a first-hand view of what that was like you know going to all these different schools in a six-week period all the stress that was involved with it um was it a relatively easy decision that you ultimately came down to um, UNC was that a relatively easy decision or was it something that you were kind of going back and forth between I'd say it was it was easy but um, a lot easier than I expected before I visited any schools if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, so I, th- I think before I went on any of the visits I definitely was going to go to Columbia mm-hmm. um, but once I went to that UNC visit and I just kept taking other visits um, I think, I think by the time those six weeks, um, went by, I had a pretty good, um, gut feel on where I would be the happiest and, um, the most successful as a student athlete. Yeah. And I think, um, obviously 
as a graduate of UNC now, and with all the success they have in other sports like their basketball team, uh, Michael Jordan went there, a lot of excitement <laughs> with yep. a lot of the other athletes um, at UNC. Um, what was it like being a Tar Heel? What was it like being on campus there? And what was that? What, because we alluded to it before and talked about your high school training regimen. What was the step up in terms of that training regimen in college? And what was the daily schedule like in college for you? Yeah, so um, it was a lot different than high school. Um, high school was kind of you'd, you'd leave school at 2.30 um, and just go on around and go home by 4.30 and eat ice cream on the couch or something, just just nonsense stuff. Um, but in college, um, I mean, every everyone on the team – um, was at a similar level to myself, um, and we had a, as I said, the number one recruiting class in the country. So there's a lot of um, inner team competition to um, make the travel squad. Um, the top ten in cross country would travel. Um, they'd be, I guess, they'd be like the varsity A team or whatever, um, and those would be the top the people that go to all the meets, um, like like the big like that like NCAA conference kind of stuff. Um, I think training was definitely a lot harder in college. Um, as I said before, my high school coach was someone that, um, definitely didn't, um, push us to burn out. Um, so there are a lot of things within college that I never saw in high school in terms of like doing two runs in a day or just some of the workouts that we would do. Um, in college, um, so I think my col- my average college schedule I probably averaged around 75 miles a week, which sounds mm-hmm. like a lot, but it's, it, compared to some people on the on the team, it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, we had I had a, one of my best friends. He ran um, I think 115 miles a week, which is completely asinine to think about. Um, that seems crazy but, to me. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Oh my god. It's like you're running all day. (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly. Um, but the daily, yeah, the daily schedule, I mean, running 75 miles a week or whatever, um, you're pretty much always thinking about running. Um, even when you're not running, just like the decision that you're going to do, like don't be on your feet all day. Um, go to the recovery room instead of horsing around or something like that. Um, so the average schedule, we would wake up at 5.30, go to 6 a.m. practice, um, run probably 10 miles or so, um, and then go to class during the day. Um, I would I would go to the pool in the like afternoon slash evening where I would swim three or four days a week because I wasn't able to run more than 75 miles a week, so I had to get that extra that extra fitness in. Um, so that was something that I did a lot on my own, um, to try to keep up with some of the people that were running, that were able to run like a hundred miles a week. Um, and then we we would have competitions, um, not as much as in high school, but, um, probably six or so a season. Um, and just, um, the intensity of those, much like Danny and Louie said about competing high school soccer versus college soccer college track is not a joke at all every every race that you run you're 
racing All-Americans or um, future professional athletes or Olympians. Um, so it was, it was always a grind. You always had to um, be at your best, your best self to to do well to do well out there. Else, you'd probably embarrass yourself. So. Mm-hmm. So what would and you talked about that increased load from high school to college of running seventy-five miles versus running forty miles. What was, I mean, what was that increased load like on your body? Because from what I can imagine, if you took on that much of a a load, it to me could spell injuries and over overwork, you know, overwork yeah. issues and things like that. And you talked about running 75 miles where some kids would be running a hundred miles on your team. Um, mm-hmm. And was there like a difference in training regimen based on certain factors or certain people on the team? And were there like individualized plans for running based on different factors? Yeah. So um, in terms of individualized plans, yeah. So pretty much everyone on the team had their, their own plan individualized based on their background in high school or college, um, the events that they wanted to run. So obviously someone that um, wanted to focus on the mile would not run as much as someone that wanted to focus on like the 10K. Um, so that played a part into it and also just like injury history and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. So if someone – if someone got injured a lot, they obviously wouldn't try to run like a hundred miles a week or they'd always be hurt. Um, and the most important thing with it that I learned in college was you just, you just want to make, make, make it to the line healthy and feeling pretty confident. Um, cause mm-hmm. everyone, everyone's pretty tired, um, just by running all that much and, um, just the amount of mental, mental strain and emotional strain, physical strain that, that, that takes. Um, there's definitely a lot of, um, possibilities of burnout and injury for sure um so something i guess as i grew within my college college career was to um maybe not go as hard on one workout or one distance run but just make sure that i got to the line healthy because if i didn't get to the line healthy then i wouldn't be able to help my team out um, Mm -hmm. no matter what so um so yeah that was that was the, the main difference um i think in terms of injuries i'd in high school, I didn't really have any injuries, but in college, I, I had a lot um, just due to the um, increase in miles. I tore my meniscus um, one time, and that was like a pretty minor injury. Um, but that's just an example of an injury that I had that set me back. And um, success within running is basically just being able to string as many consecutive healthy days together. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And I mean, I think there's so many different avenues that we can go and my head is kind of spinning in terms (laughs) of all the types of questions that I can ask right now. Um, But I guess the, I guess one way we could go is how you ended up training to kind of keep healthy and then be at that peak performance during race day or at, like you were saying, make it to the line healthy. So were there, like from a week to week basis leading up to a race, what types of, would there be a tapering effect in terms of the amount of the miles that you would run? Obviously, probably run be running less um, as you get closer to race week or race day. 
Mm-hmm. But what was that like? Would because there's because obviously there's a need to develop that aerobic capacity to be able to run run the amount of or the distance that you need to run at the level yeah. you need to run, and you have to develop the engine like we were talking about earlier in the podcast. But then mm-hmm. not basically if we go further along with this analogy, not overheat the engine. So it bursts the flame <laughs> or ends up uh, falling apart or getting yeah. injured for the runner. So what was that like in terms of maybe let's say you were a month out from a race, what would a typical um, race plan be towards that? Yeah. So, you know, that brings up a great point for sure. Um, it was definitely a, a balancing act for sure. Um, because if you stopped running the necessary amount of miles too soon, then you would you would um, lose fitness pretty quickly. Um, so because of that, we really didn't taper a, a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. For like the early season races, we would run. We, I mean, we, we we would run all these races at max mileage and just be tired as crap <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. much um there was no tapering into effect but i mean at the same time i would i would go to the sports medicine place every day basically for rehab or whatnot um to try to to try to make sure that i was healthy despite running a lot of miles um but before like i, I don't know before like the conference meets and the national slash regional meets um yeah we, we would we would drop the miles down a little um but more so just the workouts and the dis- and the runs would be um a lot less intense um so it's more mostly the intensity is what really really gets people um to feel tired versus um just the mileage if that makes sense Right. And speaking of intensity, I think that brings up another like interesting question slash interesting topic in terms of being able to vary your workouts, because like you were saying, the mileage itself of 75 miles, no matter how you dice it, can be a lot easier depending on the pace or the intensity that you're going at. So would there be a varying of different distances or different ways that you would work out because you did mention swimming as another as another alternative to help increase that aerobic capacity for you um to supplement the 75 miles that you're running were there other things that you would be doing um maybe weight training or um, because i mean runners are have a pretty slim body um, (laughs) yeah just looking at them so what was that like weight training wise what was um was there like interval training was it a lot more constant yeah just going on these 10 to 12 mile runs um on a daily basis yeah so um in terms of the runs we would do one long run a week um and that was typically around i think i maxed out around like 17 miles for those um so those would be pretty much just time on legs like sometimes they would excuse me Sometimes it would be pretty quick efforts, but sometimes it would just be like a recovery long run, which sounds, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, 17 miles yeah. <laughs> recovery doesn't, back, seem, yeah. doesn't seem like a recovery run, <laughs> but um, anyways, yeah. Yeah, so we would do that once a week, and then um, 
one or two other times a week we would have like an interval workout so it either it'd be like one one interval workout where it'd be like stuff at like 5k race pace or something like that and then the other workout would be like a tempo run so that'd be at a slower pace than your race pace and it'd be like continuous if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the week would just be like distance runs so that's like like 10 to 11 miles um pretty pretty easy um just to try to recover for the um the workouts of the long run um and on top of that as you as i as i mentioned before i because i wasn't able to run um any more than 75 due to injuries or whatnot i would go to the pool like four times a week um so i would aqua jog or swim um in the pool and um just try to get a little more fitness in um and then for surprisingly we we did we did lift weights indeed um <laughs> <laughs> which probably a shock but we would um we do a lot of like high rep low weight kind of stuff um mm-hmm. and most of it was like recovery so like strengthening your hips or your glutes or just just strengthening muscles that you would use for running but not try to bulk up per se um right right but just more more like be lean and whatnot. Um, so we did that a couple times a week as well. Um, and I think the weights definitely help if, if done properly would, would help in terms of like preventing injuries or whatnot. For sure. Because I mean, I graduated with an exercise science major from college. So I, there's an understanding, at least from my point of view of there being a difference in training regimen for every single athlete, whether, and the types of goals that they had. Um, Mm -hmm. And we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but when sprinting, you really need to just kind of go all out in that hundred meters or so. So there was a lot of, there was probably a lot more lifting for those types of guys and gals where they really needed to pack on some of the muscle to really explode Uh out of the gates. Whereas you know, for middle distance to long distance runners like yourself, you really needed to keep lean and not put too much weight on so that you're carrying extra weight while trying to run significantly long distance. And like you're talking about improving the glutes, improving the hamstrings, and really being able to improve a lot of those, I would say, important muscles that help helped you carry a long distance were are really are extremely important to be able to do uh so that you don't break down um over the course of that those 75 miles a week yeah exactly yeah spot on so pat kind of looking towards your college career what were what were some of like give me like one highlight of your college career and then maybe one I would say discouraging thing or a low light or something that you felt when you look back on it you're just kind of like oh man that kind of sucked yeah so I think pretty early yeah I guess a highlight um pretty early on within um my college career I was having a pretty decent amount of success and um the first outdoor race of the year I ran the first 5K I ever ran on the track, um, and I was pretty nervous going into it, but 
I also was pretty confident and had a had a coach that was super confident in my abilities for that race. Um, and I knew it was going to hurt. Um, college running, you pretty much go into every race expecting to um, feel like absolute crap. And it's kind of just like um, tr- trying to suffer the least and just get through it pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, even if it looks easy to us out there, it's, it's not as easy as it looks. Um, but in that race, um, it's kind of like, say you're like a basketball player and um, like Steph Curry and you just have a night where everything's falling, like everything's going, like the the basket's as big as the Pacific Ocean. Um, and in that, that debut outdoor race, that was, despite hurting a lot and just getting a lot out of myself, I kind of had one of those moments where just everything was clicking um, in terms of how I was feeling during the race, how I was running out there. Um, And those are moments that, as an athlete in any sport, that's like the ultimate peak. Like that's something that does not come around that often. Um, I probably only came around two or three times during college um, for me. Um, but just everything clicked, and I ended up running uh, sub-14 on the track um, in that debut race, and that was a super special moment for me. Um, just, I don't know, I was, I was able to run a time that I had no, had no, nothing planned in my mind before that to run, and I uh, ended up being one of the the top junior in America that year in that in that with that race. So that was something that was probably the, the most success that I had in college, unfortunately, in that first race. Um, but <laughs> yes, I, so that just that, that moment, just um, where everything just clicked. That's just something as an, that was like the ultimate peak moment for me, mm-hmm. not only as a runner, but just as an athlete, um, even though I was hurting really bad, that was the most fun I've ever had because everything was just clicking. Um, I think in terms of a low light, um, my last race, I, uh, I tore my, or I, uh, got stress fracture in my pelvis. Um, mm-hmm. so that's something that my career ended pretty abruptly. Um, I was, yeah, pretty much just mid race. I had to drop out cause I couldn't walk or run and I ended up getting an MRI and had the stress fracture in my pelvis. And, um, I had some nagging stuff in college, but that was, a pretty a super super serious injury something that still kind of affects me to this day um to an extent um and something that i couldn't exercise for like around a year um so that was a super uh bad injury and definitely a low light of my uh career yeah and i remember you kind of going through that recovery process of like um i remember you saying like you're hurt and then you you were done with running because of this injury and I mean, my brother had a pretty similar injury, um, not not with the pelvis stretch fracture, but he had, ended mm-hmm. up having like a career type of ending, college ending injury with his hand. So being able oh, to see that see that situation um, with fencing and then being able to hear that, it kind of shows like the workload increase in um, in all of college sports. And being able to see that dramatic, I guess, increase increase in workload can take a, a huge toll on bodies. Um, 
yeah. you mentioned the pelvis stress stress fa- fracture to kind of end your college career, but were there any other injuries or list any of the injuries that you can remember that you dealt with when running? Yeah. Um, besides that, I didn't have anything like really, really serious. Um, I did tear my meniscus in college, mm-hmm. um, but that was only like a five week. I was out for like five weeks. I just got a cortisone shot and was that was back to normal <laughs> to an extent. Um, mm-hmm. And the only other thing, I, well, I had an Achilles problem where I never, like, missed time for it, but I literally couldn't walk without a limp. Like, my, whenever I would come home for Christmas break, like, my mom would basically be crying because I would wake up and I couldn't really walk at all. Um, but then I would go and run 14 miles or something. Just <laughs> as kind of ridiculous. But, um, yeah, those are the only injuries I, I really had as a runner. So I was yeah. decently fortunate. Yeah, and I mean, because when I hear about, like, the things that you had to go through with, like, an Achilles probably strain, and then you had to deal with, you know, torn meniscus, and then you just get shot up with a cortisone shot and be fine in a couple weeks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, fine, and then fine deal, <laughs> Right, and then deal with that um, pelvis fracture or stress fracture. It's, I think it's really interesting, the mental mind frame that you have to have throughout that time period when dealing with physical ailments and kind of um, doing something, you know, that cliche of putting your mind over matter, mind over body, and really getting into a mental state of it doesn't hurt (laughs) or it does, or something like, yeah. Uh-huh. Like not being able to focus so much on the pain, but focus on other stuff outside of that, which I find incre- incredibly fascinating um, that I feel like certain that certain athletes, especially runners, possess. Yeah, and it's, I, I guess one thing I want to add um, about injuries that stinks, um, it's just like there's like a mild like depression or just sadness because something you do all day um, that, I mean, just an activity that you're doing all day. And once you get injured, then you can't do it. And that's like the hardest part um, of being, of being injured for sure. Just not being able to do the one thing that you're, you're pretty much meant to do. um, And just seeing all your friends out there doing what you want to do. That's definitely like the toughest um, part of being injured for sure. Right. And then I guess kind of like you, you talked about how that pelvis injury bookended your college career to end, to kind of end your college career. Um, what was that? What was that physical therapy process like where you had to recover for that yearly pro- for that, for that year where you said you weren't able to work out? What was that like mentally not being able to work out? And then what was that like physically post, um, post-injury when you were able to finally work out and run again what were what was that like yeah so that that um the injury definitely like I guess it came up spring semester of my fifth year so while I was still in school um I was on crutches the whole time for I don't know three months maybe um so just being able to like act as a productive member of society was hindered just because when you're on crutches for three weeks or three months it's super hard to do anything um so it definitely put me in a in a lull for sure 
um, physical therapy for that process. I guess while I was in school, just like light lifting um, on that muscle, just a lot of like massaging and heat therapy. I don't remember like the specifics. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do remember going to physical therapy for a couple months. Um, but then when I'm, I moved to Dallas, I guess six months into that injury and pretty much gave up all aspirations of trying to be a competitive runner um, at that time or, or again, pretty much, um, and just tried to put put all my energy that I had into running into um, my, my professional career. Um, but during that time, it was, it, it sucked not being able to do much active at all. I definitely, um, gained, uh, gained like 25, 30 pounds, um, which I probably needed to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but gained a lot of weight. Um, just got like, got pretty restless to be honest. And, um, kind of felt just, it's pretty ridiculous not being able to do anything active. Um, and I would, I mean, I, I would go to work with a uh, donut pad, like a, like a blow up pad that like to older sit people on, would right? to sit on. Yeah. So I'd like get made fun of for bringing that to, um, <laughs> to work, but there, I mean, I needed it at times. Right, right, right. My, my pelvis would just hurt so much just sitting, mm-hmm. sitting at a desk for nine hours, eight hours, like definitely not conducive for a, um, a pelvic stress fracture. So, Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely glad um, once I um, was able to work out again and run um, or just do anything active for the most part. Um, and it was nice to be able to work out and not be a college athlete, if that makes sense. It was nice to be able to do what I wanted to do um, versus feeling forced to do something. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I mean, that just seems like a crazy, crazy recovery process of that whole year with that, with all those trials and tribulations that you had to deal with. Um, what has your post running post college running career looked like in terms of you do you still run to this day for fun? Uh, like do you, do you run these ridiculous long distances still? Um, or do you just kind of take it easy and not really because you've ran so much throughout your life, you don't run as much now? Yeah. So after college, I was definitely like, don't want to run at all. Um, so I probably didn't run for a couple of years. I mean, I would run maybe once, once every two weeks or something like that um, with a couple of friends. Um, but once, I guess probably two years after college um i started going to this group um called punch Riders, and just a thursday nights in dallas we all meet at a bar and um trot three to three to six miles and um drink beers afterwards so that was that was super fun just being able to meet a lot of people and um i think through that i started to enjoy running a little bit more but at the same time like did not ever want to run like 80 miles a week or anything like that again. Right, right, right. Um, but I think throughout, that was probably a couple of years ago I went to that, and I've definitely been going more often now. Um, actually started training a little bit for, um, ran a 5K in the summer, ran pretty well there, um, off of pretty minimal, like 10 miles a week for a couple of weeks. Um, and then just been running 
here and there a little bit more often. Um, and yeah, it's been a, it's been fun being able to try to um, enjoy running again. So I, I think it's a, it's been a good process for sure. Yeah. And it's really cool to kind of hear this story arc of uh, where you were in high school and then college and some of the struggles that you dealt with in college. And then now you recently, probably within the past couple of years or so, slowly started to appreciate again how how much you really liked running and it's really kind of cool to see that full circle nature that you've Mm -hmm. gone through with uh running so it's really cool to kind of hear your perspective on a lot of the things that we ended up talking about but i did want to transition into maybe some more lighthearted stuff and fun stuff and maybe some advice for me as I maybe prepare for a half for the marathon. Half. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you could give me some advice on that and being able to set up a training regimen, things like that. So Pat, one question I did have um, that I was kind of curious about was nowadays, there's a lot of people that are super into trying to run a half marathon, trying to run a full marathon, you know, or doing some of these Ironman distance runs where they're like going, I don't know, ridiculous amount of miles in like one continuous period of like mm-hmm. 70, 80, you know what I mean? Like yeah, they, something crazy. Yep. <laughs> some crazy mileage. Um, so with all that being said, what's the longest that you've run mileage wise? In just, like, um, one continuous period. Yeah. Um, so I've never run a marathon, and I probably never – have no asp- like no aspirations to ever do so. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, the longest I've ever run is 17 miles, and I did that, like, every week in college, or, like, at, at least, like, senior year of college. Um, so I never, yeah. like – yeah. It's pretty surprising for me to hear that because I think everyone – I think for, like, the – the runner that isn't a competitive runner, the the runner that is maybe a casual runner, someone that's like the weekend warrior, like we we're talking about, kind of mm-hmm. looks towards the marathon as like the golden thing that people want to reach. And it's pretty surprising to hear that a competitive runner like yourself never really even pushed to those distances because that yeah. was never your goal. Well, I think, I think a lot, I mean, I definitely have a lot of friends that have run the marathon, um, Mm -hmm. for sure. But I think part of it for a lot of like ex-college or ex-elite high school or just ex-competitive runners, um, they don't want to do a race unless they're in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. Um, So it'd be kind of demoralizing um, to try to run a marathon and just run something completely below what I probably could have ran in high school or whatnot. So I think that's part of it too. Um, I, would, right, I, would right. need to, I would need to prepare a lot um, more so than the weekend war- quote-unquote weekend warrior um, to run a marathon. Right, right. And I think that's kind of like the mind, mind framer level of this thing where I think a lot of professional athletes end up dealing with it as they kind of reach these heights of or the pinnacle of their sport whether it be in football or in soccer and Mm -hmm. then later on in their career 
they a lot of these ex-professional athletes can't play basketball for fun or like play pickup basketball for fun. Yeah, exactly. Because, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. Because of where they were playing for maybe the NCAA championships or in the NBA finals, it's just hard to kind of shoot a basketball just for fun. Um, so yeah. it's, it's a really interesting mentality that a lot of, that people have. And I find that fascinating. Um, but, I did also want to get into some tips and advice for me um, <laughs> because for myself, I think this was something I think a lot of people in like as a new year's resolution, try to get into shape or say that they're going to run a half marathon, run a full marathon or whatever it is. But yeah. I really wanted to set this goal for myself just because I, I had never in my life, probably ran more than five miles at one time. So and I'm about it, to double that or triple that. Right. Triple that. So <laughs> it's something that I think has been kind of on the back burner or the back of my mind where I've thought, man, that would be kind of cool to accomplish that one day. And because that's something that is so against what I actually enjoy doing that it <laughs> it would take a ton of mental um, I guess mental fortitude, fortitude right? Yeah. Mental fortitude to be able to overcome that, not overcome that, overcome me not wanting to do it to be able to uh, accomplish something that ultimately at the end of the day, I'd be extremely happy with. But what are some, I guess, tips that you can give like a, a novice runner or a newbie like me that, has a goal to run maybe 13 miles at one time and run a half marathon. Yeah. So I think somewhat similar to um, how I described like a typical weekly training plan. Um, I would say try to follow something close to that. Obviously like depending on your, like if you've never run, if you haven't run any mile, if you're coming straight from couch to marathon or half marathon, definitely don't run 13 mile long runs or something like that. Um, but I would say definitely an individualized approach in terms of maybe, maybe start out by running one mile a couple times a week or yeah, like one mile three times in the first week and then up it to like five miles the next week or 10 miles a week after that kind of like gradually increase your amount of days run per week, increase your intensity of the run. So um, I think it's just like a balancing act in terms of just having fun out there and making sure you don't do something too soon or too quickly too soon or else I get hurt or have some shin splints or just common injuries that a, um, a newcomer to runner, a newcomer to running may have. Um, so I'll just recommend, um, just trying to get out the door pretty much and get, getting, getting some miles in and just keep, uh, keep up in those miles, um, before, yeah, the, basically, before the half. Yeah, basically yeah. you're trying to say, Kevin, get off the couch and just go <laughs> for like a mile and see if you can actually do that on a somewhat consistent basis, which makes a ton of sense, especially if you aren't running um on a regular basis just to get used to being on your feet for a certain amount of time um 
I think yeah. is important because if you think about it, like if you can run a half marathon in two hours, which is something that I would be extremely happy with being mm-hmm. on your feet for two consecutive hours at a certain pace can be extremely taxing, especially if you're not used to it. So that is something that you just kind of have to generally get used to over the course of your training regimen or training period. So it makes a ton of sense to be able to run maybe a mile or so every, every day or every couple of days uh, through a week and then kind of up it to a mile and a half at at a time. And then two, so just being able to increase that training load is extremely, I guess, important. And then also being able to listen to your body. Um, that's what it seems like Yeah, as a novice mm-hmm. runner to be able to listen. Oh, if I have shin splints, I probably shouldn't be running um, <laughs> the next day. Or if yeah. I'm so extremely sore to the point where I can't even be on my feet, I probably shouldn't run and should listen to my body. Yeah, and I know there's there's a lot of resources out there um, in terms of couch to 5K training plan or just like random stuff like that. Um, my best friend actually um, is a personal running coach um, mm-hmm. at nickcurdytraining.com n- if you want to check it out. Um, same as John Renary. Shameless plug, but... Um, little shout-out. Yeah, yeah, little, little, little shout-out. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's someone that specializes in coaching. Um, I mean, he was, he was my teammate in college, but he specializes in coaching um, adults of all, of all levels. Um, from all backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, the resources are definitely there um, on the internet. Um, yep, and, and I will, and, definitely, I will yeah. definitely link that to the description of the podcast. So you'll just send me that information and I'll link it to the podcast. Oh, we'll, we'll do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, it's, I think it's really fascinating because I think half marathon running or marathon running is on a lot of people's bucket list. And I think it's a really interesting um, way to get into running because it's a lot about just running against yourself and running against the time and not, and, and for some people it's just about finishing and not even run, yeah. running towards a specific time or goal. So it, I think that's a really fascinating aspect to it as well. So I think one last thing that I did want to talk about too is some of the equipment that you used in terms of like running shoes and like how you ended up getting fitted for running shoes and things like that as I kind of look towards um, possibly pursuing this. So what, I mean, I think there's a lot of resources out there where people kind of um, see, see and get their gait evaluated and see whether or not what type of runner they are. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's like a lot of different running, running styles. I mean, different types of running. Uh, A lot of people sometimes aren't even taught correctly how to run up until like a really, really old age or like an adult age because they're taught incorrectly when they're kids. Um, Mm -hmm. and in terms of efficiency, running efficiency, all that type of stuff. So how, like, how would you go about getting the right types of equipment and shoes for that? Yeah. So, um, I actually used to work at a running store. So, um, I would say the first, the first, um, for a, uh, novice runner, 
um, that doesn't know what kind of foot strike. So you can either be like a pronator or a supinator. We have high arches or flat arches. Um, and a, a, an associate at the local running store would definitely um, be able to look at your the way you walk, the way you run. Um, some some of the running stores might have like a treadmill and they might watch you run for a couple seconds or whatnot. Um, and they look at your like your um, your arch on your feet, and with all those various tests, and that's for free at any local running store for sure. Um, they would recommend um, what kind of shoes you should wear. So there's like neutral shoes. There's just all different kinds of running shoes and brands that um, the um, running store associate would recommend for you. So I think that that's definitely would be my number one advice um, if you're a novice runner trying to get the right gears to go to your local running store and talk to the quote-unquote expert um, about what they would recommend. Right, and I think that's what's really interesting about running as well, that it's not and like a part of it is somewhat just get out there and go run, but at, at like a minute detail level, there's certain things that people need to focus on to help help those incremental gains um, that can really help enhance how they feel about their running, how they feel about their body when running long distances, um, alleviate different pains and aches because of the shoes and equipment that they have. So I think it's really interesting that even switching from one shoe to another shoe can have drastic effects on your body and and on your feet because I know for myself I have really really flat uh feet and mm-hmm. don't have any arches in my feet basically so that's that's something that I have to think about when buying shoes to run long distances so and yeah. it helps increase and it helps um it helps with running efficiency and being able to um, look at various factors like that as well. Yeah. And I guess one, one last thing I wanted to add also um, for the novice runner, do not run in running shoes that are super old or else you will probably get hurt um, as the shoes have a lot of wear and tear on the bottom of them. And they're not, once, once they have a lot of wear and tear on them, they're not acting responsibly, if that makes sense. Um, so definitely don't hear the, if you're trying to run a half marathon from the couch, do not just get like your, your shoes that you have played that pick up basketball in for three years and start running in those or else you will get hurt like immediately. Um, so, 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 so just drive to the local running store and um, purchase a new pair of shoes so you don't get hurt and pay more in hospital or <laughs> physical therapy bills. My, right. my, my and- words the wise. Yeah, for you personally, Pat, did you have shoes that were extremely tight on your foot or were there somewhat, I'm not exactly sure what the correct term would be, but was there some leeway in terms of like for fit or like what's best for your body, but would you have a shoe that was completely tight to your foot, wrapped around your foot? Um, I I would tie it like a normal, a normal sneaker. I didn't, I didn't. Have, I didn't need a shoe that fit any differently than uh, like a random tennis shoe or whatnot. 
Um, but I had a, uh, I had pretty high arches, so I had a, I would pick, I would pick a, a model or a brand that would fit the high arches, um, the best. Um, so I, I usually ran like Pegasus, the, the Nike Pegasus, which is one of the most common, uh, Nike brands out there. And how would you go through like a ton of shoes through each running season? Yeah, we would, um, in college, we would get, I want to say 10 pairs of shoes a year. So that covers, that covers spikes as well as, um, flats, which are, they're like lighter than like the random trainers, but they're like shoes that you would wear to work out in. Um, so I would, I would get 10 pairs of shoes a year. So I didn't, I didn't really buy shoes until like from high school until like once I started running again in uh, post-college. Um, so it was, a, it was a nice little perk to um, be a college athlete to have so many orange, orange Nike boxes laying around and, and that um, free gear <laughs> and that, and that free gear. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's, and I mean, I think we, there was a, a lot of, a lot of different things that we probably could touch on. Like what's what, like the ideal, like running type of body is, because I think a lot of people kind of look at runners and be like, Oh, that's a runner just by the way they look, especially body type wise. And it seemed like you had a pretty long lanky frame. Um, yeah. that, that was ideal for running. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, um, I guess, have have a naturally long distance runner body. Um, my, minus my uh, my legs, I'm I'm bow legged, um, so I haven't really met anyone in college or high school that was bow legged, um, where 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 my knees don't touch. Um, so besides, no, that's like me. That's like me too. But I'm oh not really? Oh, elite, I'm I'm not an elite college runner, so <laughs> I don't know how that how that works into well, anything. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I think the bow legged bow leggedness might um, cause more injuries just because of how my bones are built or whatnot. Um, but yeah, yeah. I I mean, so that's like my worry as I go into this training regimen type of thing for this half marathon. So. Um, <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> Yeah, basically just be praying for my health and safety as I go on this endeavor. So um, there's not much more that I did want to touch upon, but if there's anything else that you wanted to say, Pat, um, you can say now. If you don't have anything, I can close out the podcast. Yeah, no, I just wanted to thank you um, for your time. Uh, No, thank you. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed talking a lot about my experiences and learning about your aspirations, um, for the half marathon. And, um, I've, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast, um, of late. So definitely, definitely on the up and up for sure. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Pat, for coming onto the podcast and, um, be on the lookout for a couple different podcasts that we have coming up, especially with the NFL playoffs heating up um, with the divisional round games coming up this week. So we'll have a a championship AFC and NFC championship game preview next week on the podcast. And we'll also talk about all the transfer news that will be going on um, in the world of English Premier League soccer. So we'll be talking about that later this week as well. So be on the lookout for those podcasts. And I just want to thank Pat again for coming on the podcast. 
and being able to talk about his running career because I find it extremely, extremely fascinating to kind of pick the brain of an elite level runner. So thanks again, Pat. I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough